Chapter Nine of People Like That. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. People Like That by Kate Langley Bosher. Chapter Nine. Bettina, who had opened the door for Selwyn on his last visit, and who had informed me the next day that she had shivered with trembles because of his great difference to the men in Scarborough Square, for the second time looked up at me. "'What is he doing down here?' Her finger pointed in the direction of the man and woman just ahead of us. "'What's he talking to that girl for?' I did not answer her at once. Amazement and unbelief were making my heart hot, and a flood of colour burnt my face. Of all men on earth, Selwyn was the last to find in this part of the town at this time of the evening, and as he bent his head to speak to the girl, I noticed he was talking earnestly, and using his hands in expressive gestures as he talked. Starting forward, I took a few steps, and then stopped, sharply. "'I don't know what he is doing down here.' Certainly he is at liberty to come here, just as we come. Bettina's eyes strained in the darkness. I can't see her face. If we cross over, we can catch up with them by the time they reach the corner, where we could see her in the light. The grip of my hand on her arm made her stop. I mean... You don't know what you mean. It was silly, childish, unreasonable, that I should speak sharply to Bettina, and equally unreasonable that fear and horror and sickening suspicion should possess me, but possessed I was by sensations hitherto unexperienced, and for a moment the gaslight from the lamp on the opposite street corner wavered and circled in a confusing, bewildering way. Sudden revelations, sudden realizations, were unsteadying me. Was Selwyn really someone I did not know? Was his life less single than I believed it? Hateful, ugly, disloyal questions surged tumultuously for a half-minute. Then reason returned, and shame that I should insult him with doubt cooled the flame in my face. It's too late to go to the Binkers. We'd better go home. We'll go there some other afternoon. I turned from Bettina's amazed eyes. My tone of voice a moment before was still perplexing her and unblinkingly she was searching my face. Hitherto her directness, her frankness of speech, and use of words had amused me, and I had permitted, perhaps, too great an exercise of her gift of comment. But applied personally, it was a different matter. "'We'll go to the corner and turn there,' I said. "'That will be the nearest way home.' "'But don't you want to see who she is?' Scarborough Square customs were those most familiar to Bettina, and they exacted understanding of doubtful situations. "'Don't you want to see what—what she looks like?' "'Why should I? Mr. Thorne knows many people I do not know.' I moved toward the corner. "'Come on, it's getting late. Gentlemen like him don't know girls like her. She lives down here somewhere, and he lives where you used to live. He couldn't be sweet on her, because—because because he couldn't. She caught up with me. He's yours, ain't he, Miss Danny? You'd better tell him. 
I hated myself for looking across the street, but as I hurried on my eyes were following Selwyn and the girl, and when I saw the latter stop and bury her face in her hands, saw Selwyn say something to her, saw him turn in one direction and she in another, I, too, stopped. For a moment was unable to move. We had reached the corner as Selwyn left the opposite one and came toward us. Head down, as if deeply thinking, he did not look up until close to us. Under the gaslight I waited, not knowing why, and Bettina being behind me, he thought I was alone, when presently he saw me. Dandridge, he stared as if stupefied with amazement. Lifting his hat mechanically, he came closer. "'What in the name of heaven are you doing here, alone, this time of night? Are you losing your mind?' His entire absence of embarrassment, his usual disapproval of my behaviour, his impatient anger, had an unlooked-for effect, and sudden relief and hot joy so surged over me that I laughed, a queer, nervous, choking little laugh. "'I'm not alone. It is not yet six and I have been to see a boy who is what you are not, the head of a house. I mean, a house with a family in it. Have you, too, been visiting? His face flushed, and frowningly he turned away. I had business down here. I had to come to it, as it could not be brought to me. Where are you going? Home. Bettina, who in some unaccountable way had managed to stay behind me, came forward and bowed as if to an audience. "'I have been taking her to where she goes, Mr. Thorne, and Granny knows all the places. There ain't one that's got a disease in it, and Mr. Crim would tell us if it wasn't right to go to them. She don't ever go anywhere by herself. She's too new yet.' Selwyn smiled grudgingly. Bettina's fat and short little body made effort to stretch to protective requirements, and her keen eyes, raised to his, held them for a moment. Then she turned to me. "'Maybe he'd like to go to some of the homes we go to and see—' "'No, he doesn't want to see.' I caught her hand and slipped it through my arm. "'It's much more comfortable not to see. One can sleep so much better. Are you going our way?' I turned to Selwyn. If you are, we'd better start. For a full block we said nothing. Selwyn, biting the ends of his close-cut moustache, walked beside me, hands in his pockets and eyes straight ahead, and not until Bettina had twice asked him if he knew where Roland Street was did he answer her. Roland Street? He turned abruptly, as if brought back to something far removed in thought. What on earth do you know of Roland Street? Nothing. I never knew there was a street by that name until last week when I heard a girl talking to Granny who said she lived on it. She did her hands when she talked just like the girl with you did. Bettina twisted hers in imitative movements. She didn't keep her hands still a minute. Few girls do when they talk. They apparently prefer to use their hands to their brains. Selwyn's shoulders shrugged impatiently. Then his teeth came together on his lip. Again he stared ahead, and save for Bettina's chatter, we walked in silence to Scarborough Square. There had been few times in my life in which speech was impossible, but during the quarter of an hour it took us to reach home, 
words would not come, and numbness possessed my body. A world of possibilities, a world I did not know, seemed suddenly revealing itself, and at its dark depths and sinister shadows I was frightened, and more than frightened. Conflicting and confusing emotions, a sense of outrage and revolt, were making me first hot and then cold, and distrust and suspicion and baffling helplessness were enveloping me beyond resistance. The happy ignorance and unconcern and indifference of my girlhood, my young womanhood, were vanishing before cruel and compelling verities, and that which, because of its ugliness, its offensiveness, its repulsiveness, I had wanted to know nothing about, I knew I would now be forced to face. It was true that Mrs. Mundy and Aunt Matilda and Selwyn and even Kitty, four years younger than myself, had often told me that in knowledge of certain phases of life I was unwarrantably lacking. Subjects that had seemingly interested other girls and other women had never interested me, and I took no part in their discussion. And now the protection of the past that had prevented understanding of sordid situations and polluting possibilities was being roughly torn away, and I was seeing that which not only stung and shocked and sickened, but I was seeing myself as one who after selfish sleep had been rudely waked. Head and heart hot, I pushed back upleaping questions, forced down surging suspicion and tormenting fears, but all the while I was conscious that in the friendship that was mine and Selwyn's, the something that was more than friendship, a great gap had opened that was separating us. If he gave no explanation of his acquaintance with the girl he had just left, it must be because he could not. He knew my hatred of mystery, my insistence upon frankness between friends. Would he come in and talk as freely as he had ever done of whatever concerned him? Would he tell me... As I opened the door with my latchkey, Bettina bounded inside, and the light falling on Selwyn's face showed it white and worn. Something was greatly troubling him. Good night. He turned toward the steps without offering his hand. It is useless to ask you not to go in such neighborhoods as you were in this evening. But if you knew what you were doing, you would stay away. I know very well what I am doing. I am hardly so stubborn or willful as you think. But if it is unwise for me to be in the neighborhood referred to, is it any less wise for you? Me! The inflection in his voice was the eternal difference in a man's and woman's privileges. It was not a question of wisdom, my being where you saw me. It was one of necessity. Moreover, a man can go where he pleases. A woman can't. No purity of purpose can overcome the tyranny of convention. Convention! My hands made impatient gesture. It's the dragnet of human effort, the shelter within which cowards run to cover, in its place it has purpose, but its place, for convenience sake, has been immensely magnified. And why is convention limited to women? It was childish, my outburst, and, ashamed of it, I started to go in, then turned and again looked at Selwyn. Into his face had come something I could not understand, something that involved our future friendship, and, frightened, I leaned against the iron railing of the little porch and gripped it with hands behind my back. Selwyn! The words came unsteadily. Have you nothing to say to me, Selwyn? Don't you know that I know the girl with you tonight was the girl who... who we brought in here last night, 
if you knew her why staring at me as if not understanding selwyn came closer in his eyes was puzzled questioning but as they held mine they filled with something of horror and over his face which had been white and worn spread deep and crimson flush you don't mean god in heaven do you think the girl is anything to me i did not answer and turning he went down the steps and i into the house end of chapter 9